0: Hello, Welcome to the Automation Impact Podcast. My name is Edward Schlepetsky. I am CEO of Active Automation Company and UiPath Most Valuable Professional. This is the first season of episodes in which, together with other UiPath MVPs and RPA experts, we will be covering best practices in end-to-end RPA implementation from Center of Excellence enablement up to successful scaling. So, I would highly recommend project champions and other managers who are currently building Center of Excellence to stay tuned. To learn more about the podcast, visit us on automationimpact.io, and don't forget to subscribe. All right, so welcome everyone. Uh, today we are discussing development standards with Radomir Ivankovic from All Leaks Group. Uh, he is RPA Center of Excellence Lead Developer based in Germany and also Radomir is UiPath Most Valuable Professional at UiPath. And... I have a story how uh, I met uh, Radomir and what was my first impression of this guy, but before I tell my story, I would really appreciate if, Radomir, you tell your story of how did you get to RPA, how did you get to UiPath MVP role, and what's your journey, what's your background? Welcome.
1: Uh, thank you. Thank you, Edward, for having me here. I'm really honored to do this podcast with you. Um, so. What's my background? Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in electrical Engineering and Computer Science. Uh, and since I was a little kid, I liked fixing computers. And I did it like through my high school and I was uh, very curious how it works and how I can make it work better. So i'm in in computers since i since i know for myself uh and i even remember i was uh, that part of generation that used dial-up to internet and i remember when i went to shop to buy something and the guy told me have you heard google it's now new you can go there and there's no commercials because we all use yahoo and yahoo had plenty of commercials on homepage and you need like five minutes to load that first page so you can seek for anything on internet and that there was like google it was completely white with letters and you can search for anything and at that moment i was like yeah this is awesome i want to do this for my living
0: yeah cool and i'm curious also how you say that since childhood you were interested in computers i'm really wondering how those computers look like i'm sure that
1: this is not the laptop you can fit in your back and walk around the oh. city yeah, well, well, my father was was a geek also, and he had the first uh, computer in my home. It was a Spectrum. It was connected to a TV, and you can play some video games on it. And later on, we have Commodore 64 that I used to play, and uh, you load a video game or software from audio cassette, even though my, my children doesn't know what audio cassette is. And uh, later on, we have Amiga. Amiga 600 and Amiga 1200. And then my first uh, PC with Windows was uh, PC 386 with Windows uh,
0: 5.11. That's crazy. I think that half of the words you say, I just don't know. Maybe shame on me. But half of the words you are mentioning, I just have no clue what it is. But yeah, let's see. That that makes it more exciting from your background.
1: Yeah, well, it, it was it was very different from everything that, that you, you used to do in that days because that days uh, you didn't have video games especially in serbia serbia is a poor country so not every house house had a pc and uh, you have only only tv that was the only so the first time when i see that i can actually interact with what's going on on a tv that was like crazy magic yeah magic
0: yeah I can't imagine that. And how how did you get to automation? And you say that you were a geek kind of from 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 the very beginning. I'm curious before before just saying about the before just saying about automation. I'm curious also if you had. Uh, in the past some job where you were on the other side of, of, of this business did you ever did manual repetitive stuff I mean of course we all do it sometimes but did you do it in large like did you did you have a job where you were some data entry specialist or something like that or you, from the very beginning you were more into tech
1: so I did the most repetitive job in the world I worked in a help desk so you have like It can be, let's say, 500 cases, but it's still only 500 cases. And you're working every day eight hours with those 500 cases. And whenever a person calls you, it has issue with something, you know how to fix it. I used to work in a company called NCR, National Cash Registry. It's a huge uh, American company. They uh, They still have a company in Belgrade, and they have a huge help desk in Belgrade. And there, I was employed in a helpdesk uh, tier two for Walmart. Now, Walmart has 8,000 stores in USA, and they calling you for um, time clock, for registers, for PCs, for uh, back office PCs, and you always know what's the issue. It's either something with network, and it gets repetitive. So you create a ticket, then you you send a ticket to some other team, or you tell them like uh, turn off and on again, or plug in the cable, or something, and because you have error codes, you know, you know what's going on. Got it. And what dragged me into automation was actually that uh, there are some uh, DVR PCs, so called. They are uh, working as uh, CCTV surveillance in Walmart, and they changed the software for that, that 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 system. So we need to enable vendor account for each of these PCs. There are two PCs in every store, eight thousand stores across USA. And you need to enable that vendor account so a uh, technician can come and install a new version of software. And to do that, you need to log in to remote machine using a software called Netop. It's similar to TeamViewer, what is, people know about. It's called Nettop. And you log in there, then you need to log out because you need to log in as administrator. So you log out and it kicks you out. So you need to log back in again. And then to log in as administrator, if technician didn't see that you are logged out and he logged you back in, then you need to log in and log out again. It kicks you out again and you log back in. When you're there, you need to start a command prompt, CMD, and type five lines of some huge—not huge, like I don't know—a big code to enable that vendor account for one day. Yeah. So that technician can enable that and. Uh, you needed from 15 to 25, 30 minutes a day to do that with one account, with one PC, and you had two in each store, 8,000 stores. So we had a huge queue, people waiting online, half an hour, one hour to enable this account. So we had like 60 people in the help desk working on it. And it was very frustrating and a long time. And the, 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 the problem was that you could not copy and paste that code because it's on, on a remote machine. So you can't copy paste, you need, you need to, to, to type it in. And you have like five sentences to type, big sentences. And if you mistake by one letter, it won't work. And then I realized that we can use PC guess, uh, That's a small Windows software that you can connect your CMD from your local machine to remote CMD and perform an action. So then you can copy paste things inside and it will work on remote site. Uh, remote and then I create small bash script that will type all of these five sentences in a row and send the request. And I was able to unlock that vendor account for one day within 15 to 30 seconds instead of 15 to 30 minutes. And when I built that that small automation, then I spread it around the team and everybody used it. And we had a queue from one hour to zero. We had free free help desk agents. And that was heard in the company. So I was called from one manager and he told me like, we are building RPA team in a company, are you interested? And I of course said yes, and here we are.
0: What year it was?
1: It was, uh, I think 2016, mid of
0: 2016. 2016, got it, got it. And so did, did this company uh, start with UiPath directly uh, or what was the tool back then?
1: So they did the research. And then they decided to go with UiPath.
0: Got it. And from 2016 till today, I mean, from from developer or from beginning with scripting, etc., you work out till UiPath, most valuable professional. And the question is, what was the journey or how did you get here? You know, like what was... um, I believe that everyone between MVPs, did something on top, you know, like, or first of all, they are doing their job great, but secondly, also probably did something on top or, or, you know, like it can be community engagement. It can be, you know, some innovative things, etc. What brought you to
1: MVP role? So in, in that time, when, when I just started with UiPath, UiPath was the only RPA tool that had Academy online for free. And it was only level one and level two, level three didn't exist. Um, also... Um, there were only three tools. You had only blue prism that was completely closed. You were not able to to look how it looks like online. It was completely closed. Uh, It was automation anywhere Uh, that was also closed and a work fusion was just released at that time. And UiPath was only the only tool that you can actually download on your machine and install community edition and try something. And there was a forum. And then I saw, okay, people actually are answering on this forum they're sharing knowledge and I said okay I want to share these tools I want to share the knowledge so uh, I got more interested in it and I also visited the Bucharest uh, with UAPATH headquarters and I always make jokes about it because uh, I was in the old UEPAT headquarters I don't know have you been there
0: I'm not sure. I think that I, I was in your office in Bucharest maybe two years ago, one and a half, and I'm not sure if it is old or new, but it feels like it was already a new one.
1: No, this was a new one. In the old one, this was like only... Uh, they On the a, on a ground floor, they had a restaurant, some some restaurant, and they were on a top two floors or three floors, I forget. So... It was the, the old headquarters I was there and then they show us how it works, why it works, and I, I got very into it. And I, I'm uh, tracking always what they're doing new and I'm trying to do new things. What brought me here to this MVP role is that I'm working on several new things with the new iPad that includes chatbot and AI fabric. and uh, we're trying to create uh, good use cases and uh, to make it work
0: that's great that's amazing one uh, clarification here just for our listeners when you mean closed uh, I would also specify that uh, it means that it is not accessible to community so I remember that this that times what you are mentioning like 2016 17 uh, whenever you talk to Blue Prism for example there was no yet community and I, I'm not sure if even now they have a community edition but back then it was B2B thing so meaning that you, are the, you can get an access to the software only if you are a company and I'm not sure if I I believe that there were some free trials still, but as an individual, you could not access it. And I always compare UiPath with Visual Studio in standard development like C Sharp or or, or Java, etc., for the reason that... 80 or 90 percent of the videos if you go to youtube and tap some um, c-sharp tutorial or something like that you would see that this is recorded in visual studio and the reason for that is that they give a tool for free for the community what immediately grow the audience what immediately grow the expertise in this area etc and it was super new and highly appreciated what uipath was doing the same thing with actually with rpa when you could use 100% functionality for free if you are using it for your like home purposes for fun you know automating maybe some facebook etc so i think that this is this is the game changer this was back then the game changer in this industry where as of now i see that many companies are following more or less the same sample and the same approach. And before, I mean, we are clo- we are we are getting closer to the development standards itself. One last question in this chapter would be: What would you recommend other guys who are listening to us? Because in this podcast is quite development related. So I believe that many developers are listening us as of now. What you what would you recommend to those guys to do to become a next MVPs?
1: Yeah, well, just before we jump to that that's a question, I want to go back to this. Uh, what you just mentioned, mentioned, Edward. I completely agree with you. It was uh, closed in the meaning that uh, it was sold only business to business, as you mentioned, and uh, this is why UiPath progressed that well. Uh, UiPath opened it to, a, to community so anyone can install it and then people across the world install it and run into problems and they reported those problems back. So UiPath had, I don't know, 100 problems, 200 pro- problems per day, while Blue Prism, as business to business, you need to pay, you need to work on it to encounter the problems. So they had one problem in a month and they couldn't fix them that fast as UAPAD did. And then UAPAD offered a price, if you remember those days, who fixed these issues, who created the best custom activity, etc. One of them is uh, G Suite activities. And that's why UAPAD grew so big. Yeah, yeah, fully agree. So, and yeah, please. And to go on this, this question, how did I get into MVPs uh, because of, of that growth and how it's growing and uh, how you can actually do whatever you want with it and you can build your own custom activity and you can do whatever you want. I was uh, very interested in, in what else would happened. And uh, since I used to work in NCR first as a RPA developer, then I moved to, to Berlin to BASF. Uh, And uh, creating any any process in BSF was pretty easy because it's 250 years old German company, they have every procedure written, they have documentation for everything they do there, that's why it's very difficult to change anything in procedure because everything is documented already. But that's a a dream job for developer because you have everything ready, just create a robot and you're done. Um, now in OLX uh, I have more freedom, so I tried a lot of things. F- first that I tried is to move from a uh, config file that's in Excel right now. I put it to G sheet and see will it work, and it works fine. It's great because th- now you can change everything live.
0: Yeah, and I think that we would have a bit more extended discussion around the G sheet because it's one of the topics I'm also curious myself.
1: Yeah. And then, yeah, also, also we, we was, uh, I was introduced to, to uh, chatbot from UiPath. So with Dialogflow connected, you can trigger some processes inside of uh, your orchestrator. And I, we have also a lot of invoices that we are doing OCR and ICR. Uh, I don't know for listeners, do they know what's different between OCR and ICR? OCR is Optical Character Recognition. ICR is Intelligent Character Recognition. I always give example with Poly. POLY is the name, but OCR can recognize it as P0L1 while ICR will compare this word to other words in dictionary and says that this word has no no meaning and will find the most suitable one which will be POLY. And uh, we are doing that, also we have, uh, uh, you wouldn't uh, believe, but in Dubai people are still paying internet with checks and we have a lot of checks daily processed so we need to recognize handwritten checks and that's something that also we do with AI Fabric. And all this new thing that we are doing, we are connected to Immersion Lab from Boris. And these things brought me to MVP.
0: All right, cool. So to summarize, probably, that I captured two main factors which, uh, which we can share with the audience. So the first one is... Um, Forum engagement, so engagement with the community. And the second one is exploring, so hunger to these new things and try, what you said, at what if. So try to broke the system, try to broke the tool, try to go and try different ways of doing the same thing, etc. To bring innovation into this business and to bring something
1: to community what everyone can benefit from. Exactly, and everything is open. You can create your own custom activity, you can connect it with, with whatever you want. So explore think out of the box. Good. Good, sir. So,
0: it was extended introduction and we are sli- uh, we are slowly getting into the development standards as a topic. Um, on the very beginning, I wanted to introduce this topic as a something for developers only and for technical guys who must listen to our podcast, etc. But I think that there is a certain level of importance for project management, RPA project management, and... Uh, even RPA champions to be involved and to hear some things where the main reason for that is that quite often you don't do it only yourself, but you also involve some external providers or even your internal guys can can be quite creative in the quotation marks. And I would say it with the excuse up front, I would say that sometimes you can be sold bullshit if you have no clue what is uh, w- what the standards are about yeah you can say that if if your robot is failing every second day and you have a high maintenance you can just say hey, yeah but this is how the RPA is this is normal or that is normal you know or missing some standards is normal etc so i want to hear also from you who do you think this podcast is for this this discussion is for and why actually non developers should listen
1: to it so, this podcast would be for everyone, and non-developers should listen to it because, as you said, um, you need to clarify what would be the good RPA uh, use case. In most of cases, people are presenting something that they don't like to, to work on, something that bothers them, uh, and they're just not a fan of doing it, but that's not actually RPA use case, so... Um, the the biggest problem that I countered uh, is that when company wants to do RPA, they first hire developer and they do, they shouldn't do it. They should first hire business analyst, or even better, they should take somebody from the company who knows processes and make him business analyst and then uh, document all, all your processes, create process maps. And when you have a backlog, then to hire developer. So this podcast will be for everybody if they... Listen closely, they might have some answers on their questions that they they didn't know they have questions.
0: Great, great. Good. So let's dive in. And I would start with actually your experience in building the development standards. So I'm curious about what was your first experience, how it developed along with, you know, uh, while you were getting more and more professional in RPA and also, you know, like I, I would be curious hearing not just the, this perfect story of how you know how bright and shiny everything was, but also if there were any downsides and learnings of of of, of this journey.
1: Oh, oh! It was complete disaster. It was complete disaster. So, uh, be, be, when we just started, uh, now you have recommendations from UiPath, but when we started, you didn't have those recommendations. So everybody of us, it was seven of us, were building bot how we think it should be built, you know. uh, Reframework did not exist at that moment. It was somewhere somebody built it and uh, you can download something, but that was nothing close to what it is now. So and after a while you had bunch of processes that anybody built how they think. It was complete disaster. Uh, We ended up also having one process because we didn't have good BA. so then manager thought that it would be good to automate some process in one bank in UK and that if you want to do that you need to connect to remote machine but on that remote machine you're not able to install um, UiPath robot so you, we need to do everything through OCR and when you do everything through OCR it, it needs to fail so the process was designed that it will fail twice and go good once that was complete disaster. So, also, common mistakes, uh, PDDs were not created properly. Um, I don't know, uh, if you go somewhere to automate some process, uh, that team will will give you the process what bothers them the most. It's not something that will save the money the most, it's something that they they hate to do the most. And that's sometimes not a good RPA uh, opportunity. So, when I saw that, I said, okay, no. This needs to be changed. Let's, let's, let's make it good. Uh, common mistake when, when we, you have a new developer and also um, when we start developing who came from the, the C-sharp background, you can use if-else and else-if. So you can put like if this and a few else's below. But in UF path you don't have that opportunity. You have only if, this, else. And people were using like five or six ifs in in another if, and that can break a robot. So that was something to to, to say. Okay, we're not going to use like that. We you need to determine it. You need we need to know what you're doing. If you want to have multiple ifs, you use switch, etc. 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 So because I was in, included in building COEs in NCR, in BSF, and now know Alex I'm now making sure that everything's up to standard that you need to have skilling standards
0: and mentioning your journey mentioning NCR and BSF and as of now all I'm curious what were the interesting captures or the learnings you had along this journey so what was something surprised you or something you didn't expect to be but on the end it was what were your learnings
1: Um... I don't know. Uh, A lot of things happen. That's something you can never expect what what can be there. Sometimes uh, people will hate you and uh, after several months uh, they see it pays off. Uh, If you try to tell them, okay, you need to use these scripting standards, you need to do this way, this way, this way, uh, they will put a lot of questions there. Why should we do it like this? Why, why this? It's easier this way. It might be easier, but it's not the best way because somebody can take over that process from you and you need to finish it later. And yeah, after five months or so, they come back to me and say, okay, this was worthy. We we did need this documentation. We did need to name everything because when you are dragging and dropping these activities in UiPath, they have their own names. Yeah. And now I am pushing to name every activity, okay, click on this one, because you will have like a click div or something. Uh, and I said, no, no, it needs to be, you click here, click there. And that's like boring job that you need to do. Like I need to rename all activities in my bot, so why it's not important, but actually when it comes to problem, when you need to debug it, then okay, now I know where this is and I can find it.
0: Yeah, got it. and. What were the, the, so you mentioned that people may hate you. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on this? What does it mean?
1: So what does it mean? So, uh, when, when you start developing, I said, uh, first rule is that you need to use reframework every time. Yeah. But why? I have only one process and I don't need to use framework. and then, then then there's an argue. Okay. You need to use Reap Framework. If you have one process that's one transaction, you make it like that and use Reap Framework. And then then people can start, okay, th- this is not important. Why are we doing it like that? But Reap Framework has error handling, has everything what needs to be there, has a complete uh, state machine, has everything what one good process needs. Why would you build it from scratch if you have it done? You just put everything in process, and you're good, you, you create your own error handling, but this is like one stable thing. And again, if somebody takes it over from you, then that person can continue because if you go on vacation, I don't want to call you on your vacation and tell you, okay, this bot failed, we need to fix it because nobody else knows how. And later on when, and also documentation, developers hate documentation. So when you tell developer that he needs to document something, it's like, wow, why? But when you document it properly, then whoever takes over from you or you will forget. We built lots of bots. I built like around 70 bots. I don't remember what I did with every of them. So, and then when something breaks, you can go back and you can read documentation. Oh, I remember I did this. And you can fix it way, way, way more faster than if you don't have documentation or didn't name everything properly. So then, people will start to hate me because I'm pushing them to name all conventions, to put all strings in naming convention, to create good documentation. But later, when we encounter some problem, then they say, okay, you were right. This is how we should do it.
0: The interesting thing is you describe all this thing about the naming, about the documentation, etc. Uh, I remember one like what kind of joke on the internet about the uh, levels of the code or levels of the code quality. And when you start, like I, I would describe it from the very beginning till till the advanced level. So the first level is my code works somehow. Yeah. So this is the first level. The second level then is my code works. Period. That's it. The third level was something like my code works also the next day, yeah. Then the level after was like my my code works in one month, etc. And then the higher level started with I understand what I have written a month ago and then other people understand what I have written a month ago. So actually my code works and so this is important to understand for developers as well as for managers that code working is a very very basic level because there are a lot of there is a lot of hidden things behind which actually you don't see but they are really critical to don't i don't know kill the process in continuous maintenance if you you mentioned 70 robots yeah and and i assume that you were not the only one in the company so if we if we take that in average in in the company there are over 50 uh, processes built, over 100 processes built. If you don't take the right setup on the very beginning, I think that later you are focusing more and more resources on maintenance instead of developing of the new processes because you need to fix, you need to repair, etc. And here I was, you know, this kind of levels which I described, whether it works tomorrow or you can understand the three days afterwards, it's kind of a joke. But I want to understand and, and I want to discuss with you what would you qualify as a minimal uh, level you need to have for, for the standards what is like minimal must have in a company as a one part? What are the good golden middle I would say what are the good standards uh, like already good to have and what is I would say nice to have like more advanced levels or, 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 or advanced things. So how would you describe this from basic to advanced?
1: Um, there is a joke on internet when they asked the developer what broke the code and developer answered no comment
0: no comment yeah
1: <laughs> so so first of all you must have standards that that's that, that's a must so those standards can be wrong uh, per my perspective or your perspective they can be wrong but there needs to be some standards that you can follow uh, that uh, whoever comes and reads them okay says okay this is the way how we're going to do it um you need to have three environments that's also a must so you need to have uh, UAT you need to have development and you need to have production environment some of my friends who are in the other companies they don't agree with me they said okay we have only dev and prod we don't need UAT I don't agree with that but that's their standard that's how they are doing it and that's okay so they have standard um, also all robots should have the same level of access. And and now this is again for managers. It, it's important for, to have all robots have same level of access, but that then costs in terms of licensing. So if you have like five robots in production, and for us, it's very important to build orchestrators so you can orchestrate your robots to work the most efficient way. You want to have your all bots all the time busy so you can have your return of your investment. Uh, then all bots can have needs to have the same access so all of them can work on the old processes and but then you need to pay five licenses for SAP five licenses for i don't know Salesforce for i don't know NetSuite and that costs money and then that's challenging then managers will ask you okay can you do it with with one access we will give only one bot yes but that then limits us on on starting the bot in orchestrator then i have limit And then my robots are not most efficient as they are, as they should be. And of course, never work in production, never do anything in production, any posting, like we're going to do up until here and but we ain't going to click submit. Somebody will click submit at one moment, it will make a mistake. It will click submit and it it can pay some money or or do something that's, that's very wrong. And of course, one of the biggest roles, and this is now for business analysts, Uh, who will be working with with, uh, uh, SMEs, optimize and then automate. First, look at the process, look what are the uh, holes in the process, how you can make the best of the process, and then we will automate it.
0: And here, if we spend some time with this point, optimize and then automate, For me, it is, I, I had both experiences. We were automating the processes on go, meaning that we were applying really minimal uh, optimization and then and usually it is happening on the SDD level that you kind of try to change the process, how it would be the most suitable for a robot to execute it. As well as we had in the other uh, company, we had an experience of having full CI, Continuous Improvement Dedicated team for just focusing on improvements. An interesting thing about CI, it is called Continuous Improvement, where on the very beginning my main focus was on the, the word improvement, where now more and more I realize that it it is continuous, meaning that I never saw during my over five years of experience in RPA, I never saw the company with perfect processes. And big mistake of many companies and many managers is that they think that first we will have the perfect setup and everything and then you go for for robots because you only automate the perfect processes, where I think it's quite wrong because when attempting and trying to um, make the process perfect, it would kill the business case, it can cost a lot of money, it can cost many iterations. so here we try to go for some kind of golden middle where you have you have the process, you capture the eighty twenty, the things which you can actually optimize. Why while automating, maybe you would need one or two additional transactions, but you would not rework the process because on the end, just if we take RPA out of this discussion, the poor improvement sequence can can cost a lot of time and a lot of money and very often projects die because of it just because they are over engineering the things etc so when you say optimize on what level you are optimizing it is it business analysts who are suggesting some changes is it developer who do who do it is it both where business analysts consider it from the process knowledge and developer from technical knowledge how does it work for you
1: well well first of all as you mentioned perfect process does not exist that that's that doesn't exist so everybody needs to know that when you want to automate something you need you need to have some handling in that process i mentioned a million times uh, developing a robot is easy error handling and debugging that's the difficult part so to to have a process properly optimized uh, we would ask SMEs, but usually for SMEs, you have a manager of the team. So when, when you said, okay, we're going to automate something in some team, they dedicate a person to you who is actually manager of the team, who is managing that team, and okay, I'm going to be your SME. But that's completely wrong. And I said no. I always say no. I said no, I respect you. You are manager. You are doing your management stuff. I need somebody who has hands on the problem, who is working with this every single day, who who has this pain. And when you talk to that person who is actually dealing with this process daily, then that person itself will tell you, okay, I think this, this can be optimized, this, 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 and this, because that person already had that, that that, that hands-on experience. I had a problem when we automated something and manager was SME. And whenever we stuck with some problem, manager said, I need to come back to you. Yeah. And then he would ask somebody in the team and come back to us. And then we booked a meeting next day or next day or next week and we spend instead of one day in catching the process we spend like two or three weeks catching the process and that that's not the way how it should work so you need to have somebody who has hands-on when that person has hands-on that person has ideas how to optimize it A business analyst also has an idea has a bit of technical experience and can can give some 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 inputs and on the end when this uh, process is, is introduced to developer there are everybody. So SME is there, BA is there, developer is there, and we can talk together and we can see, okay, can we do the, use the API here? Can we do this here? Can we do this here? And then when you have everything in place, then BA will create PD document and give you to for development.
0: Got it good and switching from these basic standards when you said like just to summarize first of all you must have those standards yeah and then how right or wrong are those the best practices etc this is discussable but you must have standards what you consider then as a good standard this is the golden middle
1: so so good standard is like like a golden standard is like uh, you need to advise your admins in the system that you're working to keep their Uh, UAT environment, sandbox environments up to date. That's very important because we are building bots there and that environment can be different from actually a live environment and you build a bot and it starts failing because fields are not the same, names of the fields are not the same and uh, I had an experience where in sandbox environment we had a a table and that table has 7 rows. In production it had 11 rows and the bot didn't pick up the good value. Again, this was the old old thingy. It was like three, four years ago. That developer who built it used the row numbers, row index, not the name of the header. And that's why bot failed. We learned through our mistakes. Uh, of course, you should use Dispatcher Performer whenever you can because that's how you, you, you have your workload on your machines. You can dispatch all processes and then they can work one by one. And if you have access to old bots, as as I recommended earlier, then any bot can pick up that queue and work on it.
0: Yeah, and Um, maybe... Maybe here for our listeners also, that's important to articulate because I believe that we have we have different levels of them. So talking of dispatcher, uh, why it is important. You don't really realize the work of dispatcher if you run your process on, on just one bot. Like you can still see that, okay, you first populate the workload and then you you kind of process it, but this is just okay. Um, first of all, talking of dispatcher, we are speaking about the item which is loading items into a queue before the second robot is processing it. And then why it is important mainly is for scalability and for proper workload management also where if you are to work with two or more robots, this is important to manage properly those robots the way that they don't start working on the same item. Because if we take any system, like even Excel, if you start reading from Excel or writing into Excel by two users, it will fail. If you go to some transaction in SAP and you try to access it from two users, it will fail. So this is where I think that Q and dispatcher is critical for scalability as well as the framework itself. So this is quite a good point you have mentioned here about this
1: dispatcher. Thank you very much. So, but there is also one thing that people don't think about. Uh, We had a process in India and we need to process, I think, 40, 50,000 of invoices daily because we had uh, customers uh, and um, if you do it with one robot it won't make it to do it in one day and your invoice will expire so you need to to do it simultaneously if you dispatch all, all your uh, uh invoices to queue and then five or six bots will pick it up from the queue and you you will do that process five or six times faster so instead of doing that process for i don't know 40 hours it will done in 10 hours and in 40 hours there are the two days and actually the, the, the invoices from the next day they're staying for the day after it and then you have load of invoices and and that completely breaks finance so this is very important so if you you don't know sometimes it can be like seven thousand 8 thousand invoices sometimes it can be like 40 fifty thousand invoices uh, I don't know have you heard, But uh, Amazon earned more than 99 uh, billiards. Now they are like three larger or something, I don't know, Joe Bezos. So that happened during this crisis that we have right now. While we are talking, it's currently Corona time, so we are all locked at home. And Amazon had, uh, uh, and not just Amazon, all uh, online shops, eBay, Olex, we all had a lot of customers buying online. And you have a lot of invoices. So you never know when that number of invoices will increase. Yeah. So you need to make your bot scalable so it can handle 10 times more than it should.
0: And also in the same time, like one thing that workload grows and this COVID is quite an interesting sample. On the one hand, your workload grows, but on the other hand, this is also not the best time for hiring people and not the best time for upskilling people because you can't just exactly. invite them to office and they, you know, like someone of your employees will take care of them, but this is much harder to set it all up remotely. So this is quite important. Um, besides this you have mentioned several uh, several points there. Is there anything else you would add to this middle level standards?
1: Yes, of course, of course. Uh, I mentioned before, you use the switch for God's sake. Don't use if in if that that will break code and so people people need to know, developers, please use switch it's very, very powerful activity in UiPath. Um, yes, also there needs to be standards for BA. So there needs to be like a checklist what BA needs to have before he can give it to developer. So all the things that need to be prepared, process map, PD document, um, screenshots with, with clicks, where, the, what, where, what, when to do, etc. That's very important. And the maybe one of the most important things is to educate the people who are you working with if you are taking process for somebody that can be a roadblock because that person will think that that robot will take away job from them so you need you need to to tell the people okay this bot will only help you that it ain't going to take away your job and that's very important to have
0: yeah all right, uh, these were the gold standards or so-called golden middle standards. It's good standards to have in a company. What is a little bit above it? Like, What would you consider as a truly advanced standards? What we say nice to have, yes, yeah? so it is not necessary must have for all the companies, but very, very nice to
1: have. What would you add to this list? So nice to have, I really like agile methodology of working. Uh, I really like it. Even a even lot of developers hate it, I know, and managers love it. Uh, I really, really like it because um, you can actually see the progress. You can see if somebody's stuck with something, how to help them. Uh, you should determinate sizes of project and you should do stand-ups. So the same way how you slice your code inside of the uh, tool, RPA tool that you're working with, Uh, The same way you can slice your developer processes and you can say, okay, today I'm working on logging in. Tomorrow I'm going to be working on uh, navigating to some tool and taking data, etc. And then you can have progress. And that can be annoying for developer if he would go every day and say, okay, I'm still working on on logging in. I'm still working on logging in. But manager can see that you're struggling with it and he can give you help. Okay, do you need any help with that? Somebody will be there to help you or you can just say, okay, I know what I need to do. I just need more time. Then you slice that login to more pieces, etc. So that's that's very nice to have. That's that's I think an advanced standard should be. Also, you should have a if you if you're having a team, you should have a project, not a deadline. So, okay, you need to build this bot. When you can do it, you can t- look at the process. Okay, I need one to two weeks, or I need five to ten weeks. Okay, you have ten weeks build it in 10 weeks we'll see what did you do don't give developers working hours because nobody needs seat warmers so just somebody to sit nine to five that that has make that makes no sense so hire people and give them freedom to work when they want how they want if they want to work from home leave them to work from home that that's totally fine and everybody will uh, give the best what they can i i I assure you and uh, Last one, we talk about framework, but nice to have is uh, advanced framework to change your framework, to change the reframework to your needs. For example, we changed our framework to use Google Sheets, not Excel. And then we can live change some things inside and it will reflect on a bot in production. So I'm not saying that anybody should have access to that sheet, no, but you can then change some things in your your uh, config file without republishing it Uh, in bsf we used a shared drive shared windows drive because we had windows servers and our config files in excel were stored in that shared drive so you can access to it and change something without reflecting it to production but here in olx we don't use any windows we have everything on amazon So when I asked our our bit team to provide me with some Windows shared drive, that was not possible. It was possible, but it was more job for them. It was way easier for them to give me S3 bucket or to give me, I don't know, uh, Google Sheet and then I can do it. So we changed our framework to use config farm from Sheet. Second thing what we did, there is something missing in in reframework. For example, if your uh, transaction fails, it will... try it for three times. If it fails three times, it will go to next transaction. But there is no mechanism who will count failures. So if you have 100 transactions, each of them will be three times processed and each of them can fail three times. And your bot after two hours will tell you, I failed everything. I successfully failed. And that's not good. So you need uh, we built another mechanism who will count the failures. If you have three failures in a row, so each of transactions three times tried. If you have nine failures in a row that failed, it will stop the bot and notify you, okay, I had three transactions. I tried each of them three times and each of them failed. Okay, then something is wrong. You need to take a look. That saves time and money and and bot is not going to to wrong direction.
0: Got it. Correct. so if to summarize this uh, nice-to-have level, so there, you mentioned there are mainly three things. So it was agile and this flexibility, which may be of course subjective as any other thing, like someone likes it, someone not, but be agile. Then the second one was have a deadline but not working hours to so don't have the seed warmers and correlated with this was that you kind of expressed that it would be nice to have more freedom for people, you know, like you focus on delivery, but you don't focus on how it is done, when it is done, etc. So if it is done from home, especially in this coronavirus times, we learned that we like much more people could actually deliver from home than we we thought initially. And the last one was like framework, which you mentioned also in the previous point, but here the important is that you don't just use a framework, but you adjust it and you kind of tailor it for your organization. This, This is quite interesting thing. And... If you are to describe development procedure from end to end, I am curious where does it start and where it ends in, in your company. For if we take for, for now all legs, how does the development procedure look like end to end? As you may understand, our episode is coming to the end. The second part, which is to be published soon, We'll start with answer to just mentioned question. For now, if you enjoyed this episode, I would kindly ask you to hit subscribe button. Also, don't forget to visit automationimpact.io. There you can find more podcast-related materials. Cheers!